Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, converting your potential into high performance so you can grow your career. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Okay, everyone. I feel like it's a brand new day. I'm sitting here on the Executive Minds Podcast. So if you are a long-term member of the Launch University community, you're still a part of this community. Um, you're just now part of the mentor community. We've owned this reality of the what we want to do in your life is give you access to a mentor. Hopefully, we've been doing that for a long time. Uh, but now we're just owning that. We're stepping into that name. And I'm here with one of the mentors on the team, David Farmer. What's up, Kevin? Hey, my friend. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm excited because when I was even preparing for this, I was like, this is going to be a good one. This, I think this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people. And today we're talking about this idea of what great leaders do that average leaders don't. And so I'll be honest, I, I got a sneak preview of some of the points. And I know that I felt convicted, like, Kevin, you are phoning it in in some areas where you need to step into greatness as a leader because right now you're playing at an average level and we got to step it up. And so, uh, David, I know you organized this, these ideas for something. So just kind of share the context of how you kind of came to this list. Yeah. Well, first of all, with this, the name of the podcast, executive minds is like, whoa, we all got to step it up a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but one of the things I'm excited about, I've had the privilege to just observe work for and work with some incredible leaders and so I thought I'm going to capture some of the basic concepts that I have been taught by those guys, see modeled by those guys, and just kind of pull it together. And so that's that's where this um, this content comes from. Uh, admittedly, as as many of our listeners will know, uh, I've been at Chick Fil A for a long time, and so I'm drawing from some things I've seen from some of Chick Fil A's most senior leaders. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think I mean in not to pick on any organization, but Chick-fil-A is a very large organization. I mean, how many employees at this point do you have estimate? We probably have about 2,500 restaurants. And then um, at our support center campus in Atlanta, uh, I'm sure there's at least 1,500 uh, folks at our support center campus. You know, and so when you're around 1,500 people showing up every day for two decades plus, just because somebody stands out doesn't mean everyone's doing poorly. But those who stand out and rise above the rest, there's clearly something different. And so it makes sense that in any context, you would notice something different and special. I feel like one thing with sports I always think about is this idea that LeBron James is great. Sure. So is Michael Jordan. But everyone else is a professional, too. And they, they're all in the 1%. So what can a guy like Michael Jordan or LeBron James be doing that makes you stand out that dramatically amongst the other 1% of high performers? You yeah. know? You know, one of the things that's true for me, and I think it's true for a lot of folks, I got to admit, growing up, I'm not thinking my lifelong dream is to work for a fast food company. Right. Or I, I don't know what I want to do in life. I just know it needs to be something with chicken. You know, most people don't think like that. <laughs> and, and yet um, I think about the talent that has been attracted to the organization, and we're growing a lot right now. We're attracting a lot of new talent. And you go, why, why do you want to work for a fast food company? Because if you looked at some of the places these folks are coming from, it's actually quite remarkable. And I think the answer to that lies in it's it's partly the culture, but it's the leaders. And it's, the, it's actually the leaders who sort of s create that culture. I know for me that was true. That's what drew me mm. to Chick-fil-A. It's not that I grew up thinking I want to work in fast food, I want to work with chicken, or even I want to work with Chick-fil-A. 
it was the people within Chick-fil-A, the leaders that I met that mm. made me want to be part of that organization. That's incredible. And so today, like I said, we're talking about what great leaders do that average leaders don't. We're trying to give you a leg up, right? So for those who are new to this podcast, we are the Executive Minds Podcast. Our goal is to help you, the emerging or experienced entrepreneurial executive, and help you grow your career. Uh, we recognize that you want the work you do to matter. We recognize your ambition actually can lead to impact. When when you put that ambition toward a mission, thing, great things can happen. And so that's what, they're, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, David, I'll just jump in. What's the first thing you've noticed that great leaders do that average leaders just don't do? Yeah, I want to go back to a story from my early days. When I joined um, Chick-fil-A, it was actually 1991. That makes me feel so old to say <laughs> that. But I went into this training program to understand how to operate restaurants. And um, back in the day, our founder, Truett Cathy, was obviously very involved. And he invited everybody that was part of that training class. We actually lived in this uh, little duplex next to his original restaurant while we were going through the training program. Wow. And so we're in there for like four or six weeks. You live there? You live there, yeah. That's incredible. It's like, a, it's like the little mini dorm. Well, he would say, hey, um, he, he would invite us to go to church with him down in Jonesboro, Georgia, on the south side of Atlanta. And then after church one day, he took us to the Holiday Inn in Jonesboro for the lunch buffet. <laughs> and then I remember sitting in this little conference room, and he just wanted just to kind of talk. And one of the things I'll never forget is he said, I'm in the business of selling chicken to help raise kids because mm. his passion in life back in those days was taking care of foster kids. And we ultimately had 11 foster homes scattered across the southeast and actually one outside of the U.S. as well mm. where he had full-time house parents. And so a lot of the profits were going to support this foster care organization. Wow. He ended up with over a hundred kids in the program and he would joke, they don't have to call me grandpa, but they get more if they do. <laughs> but he, he just poured himself That's into cool. taking kids that no fault of their own have been found in a tough spot and saying, can I get them back on track, put them in an environment where they can thrive, get healthy. And by the time they're adults, they're going to break a bad cycle and they're going to do great things. So that was his passion. So he would say, I'm in the business selling chicken to help raise kids. So here's the point. Great leaders, they know their why. Hmm. And we've heard this from Simon Sinek. You know, he's, he talks about knowing your why. And he'll, he draws the three circles where why is in the inner circle. That's your identity. And then you go out uh, to the how. That's your strategy or approach. And then you go to the outer circle. That's the what. That's mm -hmm. where you get into the execution and the methods. But Truett always started with why. And his why was not to get rich. His why was not to get big. His, you needed to do those things. That was stewardship. But he was never, ever motivated by trying to get big. He used to tell us all the time, I'm more interested in getting better than getting bigger. Mm. If we get better bigger will take care of itself in time and That's i think beautiful. we've seen that play out sure so very i think very blessed to work for a leader that knew their why i think in this day and age young people in particular the why is huge yeah and and maximizing shareholder return and generating profits for this corporation yep doesn't always do it so i mean that sounds boring i mean i mean just being transparent like that doesn't even sound exciting yeah you know like i mean like the people who work for you even if their why is their own family like that's more compelling than 
max even the phrase maximize shareholder value even though i and i believe in doing all of those things yep but man that just that doesn't get you, get you through the tough days no and you no know, we say you it's still critically important our sure. expression is no no margin no mission meaning right. you don't have any profits you're not going to have the resources hmm. to make your mission i love that come to life so no margin no mission and and our even our why has uh, you know, it's changed a little bit over time as we've grown, but still much of the focus of our philanthropic efforts is youth and education. Mm. That's the sweet spot for us at Chick-fil-A, and it comes to life in a lot of different ways beyond just the foster care program. Um, but knowing the why is key, and hopefully that why, it it does transcend just economic return. Yeah. So w- what I love about what's coming up next was when I was even seeing, I was like, this feels counterintuitive to kind of hear, I mean, you know, the phrasing, right? Finding your why. And then the next one being what exactly for us? Yeah. The next principle I think I've seen is uh, the best leaders are really good at defining the there. Hmm. And when I say there, um, I think we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but one of the responsibilities of the leader is to help the organization, the team, the group that you're, you're helping to lead know we're here but we need to get to there. Right. And understand a lot of people aren't all that excited about just changing. It's disruptive. Mm. It takes energy. Um, I'm comfortable here. So part of the leader's job is to paint a picture. What is it about there that would make me want to go there, That would it, to expend the effort to get there? And, oh, by the way, this here we're at right now, I thought that was the there. Mm-hmm. It used to be. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with it now? Right. Uh, but, hmm. but even I'll go back to Truett. Uh, in Truett's office, he had this picture that his daughter Trudy gave him. It was a painting of a mountain climber. Uh, he's got all the ropes and belays and you know the all the um, the harness on and uh, all the carabiners. He's hooked in and he's climbing a mountain. And Truett would always tell us, "No goal is too high if we climb with care and confidence." And he would do a great job of helping us understand what the goal was. Mm. And it changed some over the course of time. It, it is going to. Yeah. But leaders help you understand where is it we're trying to go so that we're all working towards the same outcome. Um, one of your colleagues, uh, Mark Miller, who, yeah. who's a leader development here, I heard him recently on, on another podcast. He said people change for one of three reasons, right? They're compelled by a vision. Yep. Uh, they are experiencing current pain. Or there's fear of perceived future pain yeah. that motivates them to change. And I love that you said, hey, people just don't want to change, right? Yep. So, so with that, defining the there is about that vision, saying, you know what, if I'm going to have to go through the discomfort of changing something, that's probably in some cases working yeah. even. I'm going to need to understand why because I'm not experiencing pain. I don't have fear of perceived pain because things are might be going well, yeah. you know, but we're trying to get better or, you know, that which might or might requires to get bigger and hopefully that vision has to be there otherwise once again i'm not intrinsically motivated to change because that's what's required for human beings to get around that evolution i might even add to this idea of their um one of my old uh, leaders steve robinson who was chick-fil-a's uh, really first chief marketing officer recently retired he used to remind us a lot that resources follow vision mm. and so um, if you want to make a case for resources, you better start with a compelling, um, overarching vision because that's what people want to get behind. Vision inspires. Vision compels. And, and, bi- and vision begs investment. 
first of all, I'm, I'm, I want to take notes, so, but, I, but I can't because I'm, I'm hosting we'll a podcast. We'll have show notes, Kevin. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm like, I want to write that down. On the new um, Mentor uh, website, right? Yeah, exactly. If you go to executivemindspodcast.com, we have show notes for you. Um, so one of the things that I felt like I think everybody who, who, who leads anything, the challenge sometimes is saying, I know there are intangibles, and like I said, so far we've been even packing some intangibles. They have tangible practices, but they're intangibles. That's what then separating great from average. Um, and one of the things you talked about was the idea of looking up and out. Yeah. And so go ahead and kind of unpack that for us a bit. Yeah, that'd be the third concept. Leaders look up and out. So uh, I like to draw this little picture on a board. You can imagine it, just a little stick figure. And think about where the stick figure has their eyes fixed as they move forward. Uh, you've got to look right in front of you to make sure you don't trip up and uh, have an obstacle in your way. Everybody's got to do that. So imagine that. That's sort of looking at the near term. But if you're a really good leader, you spend a portion of your time looking out a little further. So that little further may vary from organization to organization. But let's say you look out uh, one or two years. But the best leaders also look well into the future and, and kind of see what's going on. And one of the things we know about that, what's right in front of you is much more concrete. Sure. As you look further out, there's a lot more unknown. It becomes more abstract. You don't want to spend all your time doing that. You would not be helpful or practical. So it, think of it as almost as like a uh, how do you carve up your time and energy. Hmm. But the best leaders, first of all, will allocate enough time to look to look further out and then they have the ability to interpret weak signals hmm. in other words um i don't know um but it, like in our case we know there's this um growth in delivery for example um think about how you can you can get food delivered to you right yeah. now you Uber know eats grub that's pub. Right, all that yeah so we know customers want that we don't know exactly how that's going to shake out so we have to look out into the future Pick up on sort of the weak signals and make strategic bets accordingly mm -hmm. to, to ensure that as the future becomes uh, our, our current reality, we're ready for it. Yeah. We're not reacting. We're leaning in. So it, it sort of goes to the heart of a, uh, the best leaders are really proactive, intentional, and they're, they're explicitly doing things that help them understand and interpret the future. I, I try to do, spend a portion of my time doing nothing but scouting the future. Well, my follow-up to that question is, if you had to give it a general percentage of your time, yeah. right, what percentage of your time would you say is dedicated to you looking out versus looking up? Okay, so I don't think there's a hard, fast sure. answer for yeah. everybody. I think the higher you are in an organization, the more time you need to think about the future. I think the faster your organization is evolving, growing. Think think if you're skiing down a mountain. The faster you're going, the further ahead you better be looking, right? Mm, so um, so the your speed will govern how much you need to look out. But I would say um, I probably think I probably spend about uh, at least a, maybe a, up to a quarter of my time looking out and preparing wow. out. You know, and what's what's for those who are listening, you know, I'm sure if you're like me or anything, man, David is putting these things together so well for how he's articulating ideas that it might sound easy. Right. We don't, we, I don't think we're implying it's easy to do that because the faster you're going the more things you have to do right now, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're going fast, that means you have immediate challenges that are showing up 
you know, something as simple as, I mean, if you're, you know, a, a clothing store, if, you're, if your stuff's flying off the shelves, you're thinking, oh, we have a manufacturing challenge that happens today. Yeah. You know, if the restaurants are growing, like we're running out of chicken today, you know, you know, so, th- so that has an issue, but that's the tension. And that's also the discipline and the reality of a leader. That's what makes, once again, great from average. We're not, I don't think we're saying that you will be bad as a leader by getting wrapped up in the whirlwind. But that's the thing you have to own is that if you're growing fast, you have to make it a discipline to spend that time looking further out. Yeah, and there's some people, they just love the process of learning. So you don't get carried away with this. Don't become the conference junkie that just hops <laughs> around trying to learn, but they don't come back and, and put points on the board today. Sure. That's no good either. Sure. So you, you got to balance that. And granted, my role, a lot of I work on uh, our guest experience. So there's a lot we do around innovation and relevance, which forces me to kind of look out there. Yeah. Uh, but I think a good leader, regardless of your industry, regardless of your role, you've got to be spending some of your time. There's just so much change going on in the marketplace and in society, and the rate at which it evolves is clearly faster than it used to be. Now, we talked about so far, we talked about this idea of finding your why and uh, and, and being clear and, and, and clarifying you're there. And now we talked about looking up and looking out. So we kind of have that principle there. Now it's time for our fourth principle, this fourth idea of what great leaders do that average leaders don't. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to shift the sequence on you just to Shift it up. Just a little Go bit. for but it. I, I want to say that the best leaders are lifelong learners. Hmm. Um, and they are um, filling up their wagon, so to speak, so they've got something to give. Um, and I've had so many good role models on this, but there was a gentleman who was Chick-fil-A's president for many, many years, sort of Truett's partner. His name was Jimmy Collins. He retired uh, a few years back, and Jimmy was famous for reading 100 books a year. And I think that just, they weren't even all business books. Some of them might have even been just fiction books. But he illustrated that um, he was not going to just work off of yesterday's tapes. You know, he was going to constantly be uh, looking for new concepts and ideas. He was committed to being a lifelong student. Our current president, Tim DeSopolis, phenomenal leader, same thing. He has his own dedicated bookshelf. Now, it's not just about books. I'm a huge believer in books. In fact, I consume uh, a lot of books just through Audible these days while I'm working out, while I'm commuting, that type of thing. It may be podcasts like this. It may be conferences and seminars. It may be experiences. You get out and just go try something. It's through relationships. You're intentional about meeting new people. I've heard Mark Miller, who you referenced, talked about Go to the bookstore and go to a section where you know nothing and just pick something up, whether it's a book or a magazine, just to sort of force you to think about something you've not considered. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there is huge value in that, and I think it sets an incredible uh, example for others in the organization. It enables you to continue to evolve as a group, as a team, as a business. That's fantastic. And so, I mean, obviously I couldn't agree more. I think that's actually been – I'll probably credit that with – the most of my success uh, is I, I, I didn't know how much I liked learning. I always did. I didn't read a lot of books growing up. I read more magazines. Um, and I was like, man, I don't read more books. I complained about that. My mom said, well, son, you always read a lot. It just wasn't books. But once I got into books as a, as a young adult, it really, I feel like it, it, 
accelerated so much for me, um, which I, and I think one of the values of books in particular, beyond just the, you know, communing with great minds, as Todd Henry says, is the fact that you have to hear them out. Yeah. I think if it was a dialogue, I could feel compelled to wow you with my brilliance and interject. A book requires you to be quiet and take in the entire argument, the entire conversation, and wrestle with what you agree with, what you don't agree with, what parts are actionable, what parts are not actionable. And it gives you, and I, and I think that those things, the fact that you have to sit with it and knowing you, you really can't debate it, it, I think there's something about that. And I think that also means we can take that exact same thought process to meetings with our team yeah, and say, you know what, today when we talk about this, I'm not going to share my opinion on purpose. I'm going to withhold strategically and in some meetings my opinion for the sake of hearing out another leader that can challenge my thinking and say, is it okay if I come back with my thoughts later? Yeah. And I think sometimes as, as you know, emerging leaders in an organization, executives, we might feel compelled to say we have to demonstrate our expertise and our contributions in real time. And I think that sometimes that actually holds us back. Um, I can think of one time I actually got kicked out of a meeting and uninvited uh, to a strategic planning session at one of my previous employers because I was the young buck who wanted to show people that I could contribute. And I had studied up. I mean, I, I mean, I had done so much work for that meeting and I was too vocal and I, I had to apologize. Um, and you know, hope they would let me come back. They did let me come back after told, telling me no. And that next day I knew young guys sit back in the corner and, and you know, wait your turn. And I'm grateful they did that. You know, um, I wish the, my, the, my, leader would have said, let me tell you what to do differently. But the lesson was still made. And it was one of patience, one and, and one where um, I think, listen, you don't have to feel compelled, but you can take approach of how would I consume this moment if it was a book? Just yep. take, let everything unfold and let me, and I'll have my moment for one-on-one conversation to maybe influence a leader who I do have rapport with um, in a moment like that. But that's something I feel like I learned a big lesson on. And just listening uh, to what you're sharing, building on that, I, I like the idea of leaning into subject matters and topics that challenge you, that may be outside of your comfort zone. Um, don't just get stuck in the same rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you're really good at this, by the way. Yeah. You know, m- uh, make yourself vulnerable a little bit. And um, I think you'll grow. And I think you'll be able to bring more to the team, and you'll set an incredible example for them as well. They've got to grow too. Yeah, for sure. For, well, and I think yeah, that's a, that's another thing about all, all of that, um, because I, I feel like when people see their leader doing that and setting a pace, which I'll say, I, I'm obviously you do that, Jeff. I mean, I mean, Jeff published his reading list for the year in December to his email list and said, "I'm going to read, you know, here are my 50 books I'm going to plow through this year in advance. If you want, if you want some recommendations, yeah, and you know." Jeff is such a great pace setter for his team when it comes to personal and professional growth that, you know, it's like, oh, wow, if, if the leader has to learn, I've got to learn. Yeah, and if books aren't your thing, that's fine, but find your thing and get on with it. Indeed. Well, let's move on to the next one. So we have this idea of being lifelong learners. Um, since you're out of the order right now, just jump yeah. in. Tell me, what, what, what should we know now? Okay, so I'm going to shift a little bit back to uh, kind of leading teams sure. and, and organizational health. And so I would say the best leaders know how to leverage the law of the lid. Unpack that. Okay, so um, John Maxwell has been a Chick-fil-A 
uh, friend and has come to speak to us. And I can even remember, I used to get, this is how far back it goes, I used to get these cassette tapes that would go <laughs> in my car from John Maxwell. And I had a car that I used to drive that had a cassette tape player, and I gave it to my son. But it was sort of a hidden cassette tape player. And one day, um, the, the little hidden, uh, whatever you want to call it, the face of it sort of popped open, and this tape popped out. And it came to him, and he brought it to me and says, Dad, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, it was a John Maxwell tape. That's awesome. But he would teach on all these lessons on leadership, and one of his uh, lessons was the law of the lid. Mm -hmm. And basically he's saying the leadership quotient of the organization sets the lid on, on what kind of success the business, the, the team, the, the organization's going to have. And he would say nines won't work for sevens. Mm at least for very long. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you've got to make sure you've got leaders at the highest level that are nines and tens so that they can then have eights and nines working with them and they're developing them and hopefully they have the capability to become nines and tens themselves. And then the eights and nines have sevens and eights working for them. I, th I think we see that. I hope we see that in uh, Chick-fil-A restaurants. We have phenomenal operators who are nines and tens and then are able to attract team members to the business who might not go work in another fast food restaurant, sure. but they'll work for that operator who's heavily uh, involved day to day and who is investing in them. So that that's the law of the lid. They know to put people in leadership roles who have such a strong leadership aptitude, they're going to attract other great leaders. One of the best things I've ever learned about leadership development, right, about raising your game, actually came from a, of one of our guests, uh, Heather Zimple, who works at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., uh, on, our, on our podcast almost a year ago now, broke down step-by-step step their approach to leadership development. And, and I, like, you know, I mean, and, and so, I mean, and it's so tactical that I'm, I'm, not, I'm really not going to break that down. But if you're saying to yourself, David, I love that idea, I love that principle, how do I go from a seven to a nine or how do I help the seven on my team or the six on my team become a seven or an eight? I really have to refer you back to that podcast because there are great books on it, but because you did it in 45 minutes, yeah. I definitely think you need to go back to that podcast episode. She broke down literally their step-by-step -step process. Um, and, and she said a lot of them have been co-opted from other organizations that she's observed. Uh, but just the hybrid of content and experiences and community and how you can strategically orchestrate them for your team and for yourself. Yep. Um, I think that's something to go back to because I, I, I resonate with that a lot. And it's convicting because I think when you step into that new phase and maybe you're still a seven yep. and, and, and you and what's required of you requires an eight or a nine, you, internally you feel it. You're like, oh, I've got it. I've, I am missing something. Yeah. Um, and that feeling at times when the, when the product's already started is a tough feeling. When you when you when you can feel the, that you're out of your depth, like I am in charge or I am being tasked to do this and I am out of my depth and I've got to go bulk up on the skills or the opportunities or the character traits as fast as I possibly can. And most of that stuff doesn't happen fast. Well, I love the fact that you're talking about I because that implies self-assessment. That's where we need to begin, right? Am I sure. am I doing my part? Am I where I need to be? Have I grown to the level I need to be at? I think you also have to look at your team and say, do I have someone that's a six or a seven and we're never going to have the kind of success we want there until we either get that individual's leadership quotient way up or we may have to put another leader in. Mm. So you got to be honest about that because well, that's I'm, the law of the lid. I'm going to write down another episode idea for, for Dave, everybody. And it's called 
how to know when a new leader needs to move in. Yeah, because I, I think there's something about that. You could spend so much time and energy uh, trying to move the needle there. Um, you're going to be governed by the leadership quotient of the individual you've got in, in, in that part of the business. So it, you're not going to get a good return on that. Uh, now, if they're just young and they've got all the capability they can grow, it's a different story. But if, if they're not growing or they've tapped out, you got to think about uh, maybe changing it up. That's great. All right, so we have this idea of leveraging the law of the lid, becoming a lifelong learner. Um, we've already talked about looking up, looking out, defining the there, and knowing the why. Um, we have a few more left on this list. Would you mind going ahead and jumping into that for yeah, us? Yeah, two more. All right, so this one is the best leaders know how to balance high challenge and high support. Mm. Uh, and so let me unpack that just a bit. Uh, I want someone who I know is for me. That's support. They, in fact, if, as a leader, I want my people to know I care about them. I want what's best for them. Um, I will do whatever I can to help them. I even, I want them to know that I actually love them. You know, I care that much about them. If they feel that and it's real and they trust me, it then gives me the ability to challenge them hard and they know I'm doing it from a good place. Sure. So that is the balance between high support and high challenge. And you think about the teacher you had that was hard, but you learned and grew the most. Um, and maybe you had a, a good uh, relationship with them. Maybe it, you didn't ha have that much of a relationship. But hopefully in the context of some of the teams that we work with, we actually create the relationship where it feel there's trust, there's support. It enables you then to, to come in there and push hard to get to the next level. You know, I, I'm a sports fan, and it's hard to not think about the, the teams you've seen succeed, even if, even if it's not your favorite team. Yeah. And that's clearly been there. Yeah. You know, like you, you know, it's, it's like there's there's no way, you know, that some of the people we've seen succeed, organizations or even families, and in, in, in we've seen people get pushed, but they know the support's there. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's the parent who holds their kid accountable for getting good grades or preparing for ACT or SAT, but pays for tutoring. Yeah. You know, or and, and and make sure there's good food in the house for them to eat to make sure their brain's sharp for the test. You know, it's, it's a it's very different to call someone to perform their best when they know they've been given everything they need to succeed. Yeah. Um, and whether that's resources and, and sometimes even I think for startups or for smaller businesses, no matter where you're leading. And sometimes when something's not there with a resource, maybe for the financial uh, challenges, owning is not there because it can be a form of support. Saying, hey, I know I'm asking you to do this without element A, but we do have elements B, C, and D. Yeah. Do the best you can. You know, and, and I think sometimes what they know, I think, you know, Jeff says a lot, people often want resources when they need to be resourceful. Mm. You know, and I, and I think so. So for those who are listening, saying, well, we don't have, I don't have that thing. I think sometimes saying that, owning the limitation doesn't necessarily mean you don't succeed, right? For those who've read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath, right? A lack of a resource might just mean a subtle shift in strategy that maximizes the limitation, right? When Chick-fil-A started, you all were in malls, right? That's that was, right. and that was a strength at yeah. the moment, you know, at the moment, hey, this is, this is our advantage is that we're here, yeah. you know, instead of a freestanding store. And then that shifted and yeah. things evolve over time. 
I want to say we're talking about this in the context of leading, which implies there's sort of a uh, a leader and maybe someone that's in a subordinate role. Sure. But I think this can apply in a peer-to-peer relationship too, mm-hmm. um, where you know you are for one another, you have one another's best interest at heart, you have one another's back, and therefore you really can push each other in a healthy way, sort of the iron sharpens iron concept. So think about it in that in that uh, sort of context as well. Yeah, for those who for those who don't know us personally, uh, David is probably our chief pusher on our team. Well, in a good way. You know, you know I mean, and I mean, and like, yeah. that's the most complimentary thing I can say. Like, we actually, I think we all collectively rely on you to do that naturally. You know, like if you hear something simply, like, hey, can I pause for a second? I know this. Let me just lean in on this one before I walk before we walk away from this yeah. because I know this will help you and I believe in you and you want this, so I'm going to support you in this by holding you accountable. To a, maybe a, a slight shift in perspective. And sometimes that may just be the dark side of my maximizer profile, <laughs> according to the, the strength finder profile. That Yeah, that can come back to not be good as well. But I actually want I want to be around people that challenge me. Sure. Um, I don't want folks that don't feel like they can't come sort of, you know, challenge the way I do things, push me to do better, make me think and reflect. I actually love that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's beautiful. Well, we have one more big yeah, one point. One more. One more. Share right. with us. So the best leaders, they understand the importance of building healthy and compelling cultures. What does that mean? Because I feel like the word culture at this point, and I mean sincerely, I feel like culture is a word. Yeah. Has, you know, has been dragged in all these weird directions at this point. So what does it mean to create uh, a compelling culture. Okay, so let's sort of define it. And this, I, I have not looked this up in any dictionary. This is just my own, um, you know, shoot from the hip definition. You will oftentimes see organizations that have mission statements or values. We have that. Sure. In fact, at Chick Fil A, we have a very unique purpose statement. Um, it was formed in 1982 when the organization was in a bit of a crisis because sales had started to slow. At the same time, interest rates jumped to like 18 plus percent. Not mm. good. And so the executive team at the time went off on a retreat and tried to figure out what are we going to do about this. And what they walked away from that couple of day retreat was was a purpose statement. It's mm. now on a bronze plaque at the front of our uh, support center office building, but more importantly, it is ingrained in the mind and heart of everybody that is uh, either our Chick-fil-A operator or support center staff member. Everybody knows it. basically says we exist to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and have a positive influence on everyone who comes in contact with Chick-fil-A. It's aspirational. We know we're flawed, and it does not happen like we want it to happen all the time, but that's what we're trying to do. And so that that does help, and we do have a mission, and the mission can change a little bit over time. Hopefully you accomplish a mission, and so you can check the box, and you need to reset. We've done that recently. Is, is, that, something, is that something confidential, the mission? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, we probably, I mean. I'm not, let me cut that it, out. I'm just curious. No, yeah, it, it can be. Okay. And so we don't talk about it a lot sure. because, um, you know, you, you – you don't want to. First of all, you just don't want to be presumptuous, sure, because it's aspirational, sure, and we know, and we're not, we know we're not there yet, sure. Uh, and every organizations have values, yeah. and those can sometimes feel sort of boilerplate. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I would just ask: as you think about the reasons why you come together, is your it kind of goes back to the first point about know your why? Is yours distinct and compelling? Does it really pop out, or could I assume it? It's any other company or organization, or team in any other industry, business, context. But here's what I would say culture is. 
all, all that can help set the tone, the way the leaders behave and, and the, 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 uh, just the things they do day in and day out. They're modeling to some degree what they want the culture to be, but the culture at the end of the day, it's the sum of the habits of the organization. Mm, that's great. I don't care what you say. What do you do? Mm. So I, I'll give you just a simple example. It happened um, just a week ago. I was here at our support center campus, and I had guests. And one of the reasons they came is they just wanted to see what it's all about. So we actually had a little meeting, and we had lunch in our cafe. And while we're sitting there, I look up, and I see uh, our owner, our um, chairman, CEO, Dan Cathy, and he's walking around table to table, and he is picking up trash from the table, removing a plate so that people can just sit there and continue to enjoy conversation, and he's taking it and throwing it away on their behalf. Hmm. And so I saw Dan, and I walked up to him and said, hey, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I looked at my schedule, and I had a hole in my schedule. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs and just go serve. And hmm. so uh, that's his heart coming out, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so – and it, it was just so ironic that the people that happened to be with me wanted to understand kind of what made Chick-fil-A tick. Wow. I said, well, okay, that right there, that's kind of exhibit A right there. Yeah. Because that is, you can talk about servant leadership all you want, mm-hmm. but when you see it, it becomes real. Mm. Dan's kind of got this thing for picking up trash, too, and I still remember one time uh, I was with him on a trip in New York City, and we have to go from a hotel to a meeting, and we we leave, and he starts, like, picking up trash. I'm going... We are never gonna get there. <laughs> we are in New York City. I like I like Dan. <laughs> Let's pick up seven pieces, scratch the edge, and then we gotta go. <laughs> but it's just that's just who he is, you know? It, and so he sort of sets the tone. Mm. And so um that's what leaders are going to do. They recognize the importance of culture. And it, I'm not talking about just picking up trash. Sure. Whatever it is, it's important. It speaks to your purpose. It speaks to your mission. They model it, and they understand that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm. Okay? So you can have all the strategy you want. Woo. Great. You need it. You probably need it. Mm. I think culture is going to be more of a difference maker in the organization than even the good strategy. It's going to feed attracting the kind of people we talked about back to law of the lid. So all that to say, this kind of sort of puts a bow on what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Leaders get this. um, And they recognize if they can create a a sort of a distinctive culture, a really healthy culture, uh, an aspirational culture, they will get the People will show up and they will bring their best. And what I love about that, really, when people say, "Oh, you know, people first, like is that you sound in your head, you say, "Well, yes, associated with, we're not mean. We don't prioritize money over human beings. Yes, that's great. In addition, if if a culture is just the habits of the people, the collective sum of habits of individuals, yep, that means who you hire and the habits they bring with them literally undermine everything. Or enhance everything, yep. right? I, I we hey, we paid fill in the blank gigantic company to create fantastic strategy A that will take us from one to ten x in twelve months, but then I dropped that perfectly laid plan amongst bad habits, dysfunction, and it didn't work. And I brought that same strategy and dropped it around fewer people who have great habits and they're unified. And I think for me, this was like, when I hear people first is that's how cultures are created. They're, I mean, I can't. There's only so much an organization can be expected to do or a leader can do 
when it comes to changing the habits of people who are only with you from nine to five. Yeah. Who are adults who are set in their own ways. Right. And it doesn't mean people can't evolve. I'm clearly a fan of people can change and evolve. I'm just saying for anyone listening, hearing that principle, if you don't connect that back to who did I hire and what do they stand for as individuals and how do they conduct themselves when they're not here? Like, I, I tried that. I tried. I'm, I'm a millennial, and I've tried, even in my young day of hiring, with my you know, only a few years of experience. Well, but they're so talented, though, and they have a lot of potential, but they don't dress appropriately. Yeah. You know, or, or, or they're, 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 they don't cut themselves on social media very well. I've tried that, I, and it backfired. Yeah. Thinking that's not their job, Kevin, that's their personal life. Don't worry about it. It reflects who they are. Yeah. And in and, and it's not about it's not saying they can't post it. It's a free country. They can do what they like to do. And I don't have to hire them. Yeah. And I think for individuals who are listening, it's really important we get that inside of us. Because I think once again, you say, How do I influence my culture? Well, that's is exhibit that's the first step. And if you keep thinking, I'll get them in here and I will change them, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right. I mean, and so so I just I, so I think for me that's just convicting because I think at times I've asked myself even. Why is this not working? Everyone has necessary skills and abilities to get it done. It's like, no, 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 because culture is the collective habits of individuals and what we do as an organization, which starts with me, of course. I'm not passing the buck, but I don't think that people often think it's who is, is, a, is allowed in the building is where we start. But I want to add this. I would not want anybody to interpret uh, this these thoughts on culture to mean everybody you're going to start cloning people. No, no, no. Okay. No. Cause I actually think there is enormous room for diversity, uh, under this, this theme of culture. And actually that is a very healthy thing. Mm-hmm. It will make you better. So th- on so many fronts, there can be so much diversity. There just needs to be alignment around purpose and values. And sure. So that's where you've got to make sure people show up and they can totally buy and engage around the team, the organization's uh, purpose and values. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if, if they're not committed to that, it's they're just misaligned, right? And yep. So there's probably another team or organization. But beyond that, uh, so much room for diversity and sure. actually so much benefit from the diversity. No, I agree. And, and, and I think that's why I wanted to highlight the idea that that values what I'm even alluding to, right? This tension of saying, hey, if, if this person's not showing – respect to others on social media yeah that's like i have to own that and say i can't say to myself oh that was just them getting fired up online let them go it's like no that's a sign you have to own you know you have to look at what's, what's what's really happening because once again their habits and their behavior can contribute to the culture and add depth and add diversity yep but it's also can take away from it as well yeah henry cloud has taught us that integrity means whole to a large degree so think about a wing on an airplane it's whole there's not a crack if there's a crack in a wing it's lost its structural integrity so whole means i'm there, there's consistency i i'm not one thing here and something else there well that is not integrity yeah so um yes i'm going to do different things i'm going to be involved in different activities when i'm away from the team but i'm am i sh- am i really the same person at the core yeah, and I, and to all my millennial friends who are listening, um, and I know this, we all have to work on integrity. That, that, that's not, but to my millennial friends in particular, of of one who I'm a proud member of this community, that's what we have to work on. 
as a group, and I'm and I'm just calling it out because it's the truth, right? We have said we want our work to matter, we want our lives to matter as a generation, but we've also said, but my life is my life and my work is my work, and I come and I contribute, and I'm like, no, 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 yes, you did the task given to you, yeah, but you have to be, you have to have connection and to, you know integrity between who you are at home and who you are at work, and even if that means you're bringing that particular attitude to work at least you can say i have integrity there is there is consistency and the organization may not want me here and i may not want to be there yeah but i can find an organization that aligns with said values yeah and i can be myself there as opposed to putting on the face at work yeah that is what i'm encouraging I'm, i think so i think that's what i'm leaning to yeah. but this is this this obviously resonates with me very deeply for a lot of reasons um but i i want to recap our seven. So you don't mind just running down the list one more time. No, first, I'll do it. And, I'll, and let me just say, this is not like the world's comprehensive sure. list by any stretch. So there are all kinds of other critical leadership lessons. These are just some things I've had a chance to see modeled, impacts me, I've benefited from. So it's, it's just a, a good list. But the best leaders know their why. The best leaders define the there. Where mm-hmm. are we going from here to there? The best leaders look up and out. Um, the best leaders... Um, leverage the law of the lid, the leadership quotient of the organization. Best leaders are lifelong learners. They balance high challenge with high support, and they're going to build healthy and compelling cultures. That's so great. I mean, folks, like I said, I think we've all, if you're in a position of leadership over even a project, you know, you understand there are other things involved, as David's saying. These are things that we believe and we've seen and David's seen that clearly separate great from average. And I think that's a big portion, right? So it doesn't mean you're not effective in your job if you don't do all these things perfectly well. We are saying these are these are intangibles that can make a gigantic difference in the future of your organization, of your own career, um, and really make and just allow your impact to be escalated, really. I think that's a big part of it as well. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you're not working as hard as you're working strictly for the financial return. You're probably well compensated or on your way to being well compensated. Um, but you clearly recognize you're giving so much time, effort and energy. You want the work you do to really make a difference. And we, we want that for you as well. Amen to that. Well, with that being said, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the executive minds podcast. Still getting to saying that, but I'm excited to say it. Um, we want to help you grow your career. And we believe we can do that simply by bringing you advice that's proven to work. Things we've seen people put into practice that actually gets results. So if you want the show notes and the kind of the full list of what David shared today, go to executivemindspodcast.com. We have show notes there for you. We have other resources, blog articles you can check out. We are also creating something really special that you might already see by now, but if you don't, Hold tight. we got some great things coming your way. And join our email list. We're providing a lot of great value every single week with articles and case studies about what organizations are experiencing and doing that you can actually apply in your day-to-day work. And until then, join us next time. Thanks for listening to the Executive Minds Podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. For more show notes and helpful resources, visit executiveminds.co. That's executiveminds.co.